Thank you for tuning in to Seam Ripper, a brand new podcast uh, about materials and sustainability and innovation and all kinds of things. Uh, my name is Spencer Howe, and I will be your co-host. And I am Alex Carlson, your other co-host. Yes, the expert, as it were. Um, and today, uh, we are going to talk about leather as a material. Um, I am familiar with leather. I've seen it. I've had uh, things made out of it. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, I probably don't know. You probably don't know how it's made. I definitely don't know how it's made. Uh, I think I know what it's made out of, um, but even that's questionable. So let's let's, let's talk just, about leather. Yeah, let's just dive right in and uh, let's set a baseline off the bat. Uh, what is leather? That's a super good question. A great place to start. Leather is a preserved animal hide. And when I say animal hide, it can be pretty much anything. Probably most of the leather that you and I know and see in the world comes from cows or pigs is kind of the other big stock animal. Uh, what is leather, though, as far as a, preser a preserved hide? It can be done a lot of different ways. Again, probably the way that you and I see it most is called something through chrome tanning, which is basically where they are stopping the hide from putrefying or decaying. And that is at the most basic term what leather is it is a okay. hide of a cow that is not going to putrefy okay now chrome tanning is something i'm not familiar with and i'm sure we're gonna dig into that in a little bit here but first off where how did we do we know how we decided leather was a, a thing that we were gonna do as a as a species yeah so leather is one of the oldest materials that we have kind of a, a human record of okay. more so than cotton or woven goods. And like part of that is probably just because of like how things degrade over time. As, as I said, leather is meant to not sure. degrade. Yeah. yeah. So we have a relatively good record of it that dates all the way back to the, the uh, 5,000, 7,000 BC. Uh, the first records that we really have of it probably came from Sumerians and they were the first ones to figure out that by impregnating a dried hide with a lot of animal fats uh, that you could basically push out all of the water and load it up so much with oils and fats that nothing could get in there. Bacteria could get into the skin and actually decay it. Mm. And that was that's not actually really a way of tanning. That's more a way of preserving or curing. But uh, that's that's about as far back as we can find it. And it goes all the way through human history. Like. Yeah. Every civilization basically has had their own way of doing leather, whether that be through uh, smoking or curing or something called brain tanning was really popular for a while, which was literally huh. uh, animal brains, human brains uh, produce a certain kind of chemical that is uh, it's really good at tanning. It's very good at fixing the the collagens in the fiber yeah. and the protein. You know, brains are good at a lot of other things as well. I don't know if that would be. My first choice. I mean, waste not, want not. If you're not going to eat it, you <laughs> might as well use it for something. I suppose. Um, so is that how we make leather now? Like, what? well, let's not even get there yet. How did, they how did we use it back in the day versus now? Is it essentially the same thing? It is basically the same thing. Yes. Okay. Um, we do it differently now. We have something called uh, what I just talked about. Chromium tanning or synthetic tanning is the majority of what we use now in our modern day, which is incredibly different than 
it's not even incredibly different, actually. Uh, it is still the basic practice of making leather is still to preserve it. Okay. Are, are Were the ancient Romans and whoever making wallets? Like, what do they do? Are they using it the same way that we're using it? Is this all, are we, have... Has the usage evolved at all over time or is it? I mean, in the sense that like our our consumerism and our goods have changed over time, like back in 5000 BC, uh, ancient Egyptians were were using it for things like sandals and shields and horse tack and things like that. Uh, The Sumerians were using it for they figured out that if you if you sewed it up and loaded up with a bunch of oil that you could fill it with air and use it as a raft, like crazy stuff like that. But uh, it wasn't really I'll say it wasn't really until probably around 400 BC that the Greeks uh, figured out kind of like recipes for tanning. And this is what's called vegetable tanning, which is probably what you are most familiar with. Honestly, that's where, you know, vegetable tanning, veg tanning, as we call it. I feel like I've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when you get like the really nice brown shoes and the wallets that patina over time Mm -hmm. and they break in. Um, This is what the Greeks were doing in 400 BC, and these are the recipes that they had. So that's the good stuff. Yeah, and that's like still, that is the thing that we still do to this day. We still do veg tanning. It's a very, very small portion of what we do uh, globally as far as tanning is concerned. But that is like if you are going to spend $1,000 on a pair of Italian shoes, it's going to be veg tanned. I see. Um, So you mentioned that this is like uh, a small portion of how we do it now. And I'm going to go ahead and guess, throwing back to the beginning of this conversation, chrome tanning is the way that we do the majority of it these days? Yes. What is that? So I will say leather tanning as an industry did not really change a huge amount until we got to the 19th century. So for about 7,000 years, it did not actually change a huge amount. Um, Basically... what, What the difference is, is in ancient times... They probably figured out leather because a cow or a person or something fell into a bog and okay. died. And they discovered that there's something about that bog water that preserved, mummified, essentially, mm-hmm. the animal that fell into that. And what that was on a chemical level is something called tannins. And tannins are found in leafy branches, green bark, uh, a lot of nuts and seeds, acorns, things like that. And Tannins are the active ingredient that preserve the hides. And basically what that does is it gets into the collagen fibers of leather and really basically like protects them and coats them so much that they can't be attacked by water, bacteria, everything like that. Okay. Conversely, what we do now, what we discovered in the 19th century is chromium. And chromium is a heavy metal, as you know, like it's the same kind of chromium that you would like chrome your refrigerator with. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Kind of different form. But it's a chromium salt. It's different, but uh, same basic mineral. Uh, you can do the same kind of uh, metal tanning, heavy metal tanning with aluminum, zinc, stuff like that. But chromium is the one that we use today. Okay. And we use it because it's fast. It is incredibly stable. It creates a hide that is very stable and consistent. Okay. Um, it takes the tanning time. Like when I talk about veg tanning, veg tanning usually takes about, I don't know, a hundred and between 90 and 180 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So like it, and it produces a leather that is like not supple. It is not what you generally see in the world. It's not what your like leather jacket is necessarily made out of. Um, okay. it is meant for saddles and shields and the bottoms of your shoes where chrome tanning, you can actually split the hide down to be 
a 1.2 millimeter thickness and have it be very supple. The drape is incredibly nice. It takes color very well. And the difference is, is that chromium um, actually goes in and ruptures all of the collagen connections inside of the hide and then basically just tangles them like crazy and they cannot uh, cannot separate essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we figured out a better way to do it. It took us 8,000 years or something, but we have improved upon the process. So it sounds like chromium is a pretty good way to do it. To be honest, yeah. I think chromium gets a lot of heat in the industry. And I'm going to preface this by saying that I love leather. It's a great (laughs) material. It's one of my favorite materials to work with. Um, It is one of the most versatile things that we have at our disposals as designers and as consumers. Chromium gets a lot of heat in the industry, though. Sometimes you'll hear things, especially concerning things like uh, California Prop 65, Okay. That basically says like you can't sell something if you or you can't if you sell something that has a known carcinogen in it, you need to call that out. Mm-hmm. Um, chromium three, which is what's used in tanning, is not carcinogenic. It is a trace element necessary for life. You can find it in our bodies. You probably don't want to consume a huge amount of it, but it is not dangerous as chromium three. Okay. The issue comes with chromium tanning when chrome three is exposed to heat and humidity and time and UV radiation, any of these things, it turns into chrome six, which is carcinogenic. And guess what? Leather tanning requires a lot of. (laughs) I would imagine. Yeah. So, okay. So that's a problem. Uh, And the alternative we have is veg tanning, which takes a hundred days. Yeah. Or something called wet white tanning. Uh, okay. which you'll also hear be referred to as chrome-free tanning. Okay. Um, this is a synthetic tanning. You are using uh, man-made chemistry, things like uh, glutaraldehydes, sulfur, some proprietary chemicals to do the same work that chromium does, but in a slightly different way, basically. Okay. There are many ways that you can do wet-white tanning. Wet-white tanning is kind of an umbrella term, but they okay. all have their benefits and drawbacks, as everything does. <sighs> okay. That is a lot of science for for me, but it it sounds like there's no one best method. Um, I want to shift gears just a minute here and talk about the actual leather itself. Where wh- let's just start. Where does it come from? Like life cycle of the cow. Let's start with it's actually a cow. It's at a farm. It's living its happy life. Yep. I assume that's how it goes. I mean, happy life. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you could say some things about that. Um, I will preface this entire conversation with saying that I am a bleeding heart vegetarian uh-huh. and I do not eat meat. However, leather is a byproduct of the meat industry and you will never have cow leather coming from a cow that was killed for its leather. Okay. As long as the meat industry is running and healthy, which it is and is going to be for a long time, leather is a byproduct of the meat industry. So if I'm uh, picking up what you're putting down, there isn't there isn't a reason necessarily to not use leather because I mean, if it's your if if your personal alignment, morals, whatever state that you don't want to wear leather because it is associated Mm -hmm. with the slaughter of animals, things like that, I am. That is totally fine. I am not telling you that you shouldn't, sure. that you should wear leather because of whatever. All I'm saying is, is whether or not you are eating meat, the leather is getting produced. And if it's okay. not going into the leather world, there are a 
very handful of small handful of other industries like glue and pet food that uh, can adopt some of that hide waste. But otherwise, it is going to a landfill. Leather okay. is a recycling story. That makes sense. Um, so how do we get uh, how do we get from cow to to tanning to shoes to belts to whatever else? It is a long, complicated and arduous process. I was hoping you would <laughs> say that. Let's dig into it. So it starts at the slaughterhouse where you have animals that are getting skinned for meat and other things. And it basically goes into two different tracks. Basically one is the actual meat production and the other is the skin. Okay. And the skin is rarely the meat packers concern. It is such a small percent of the money that they are making off of those cows that some tanners have good relationships with meat packers where they will actually take better care basically of skinning the animals so that you don't get it full of nicks and tick bites and things like that. They're not using, you know, there's like treatments that you can use on the cow while they're still alive to prevent things like louse infestations, which can harm the hide. So sometimes leather tanners will actually work all the way back with their meat packers to ensure better treatment of the cows during life. Okay. Um, this also like, it gets really crazy. Like just to touch on it, you will end up generally having better hides um, in one season versus another in certain hemispheres, because you will have higher infestation of lice and louses and things like that in summer than you would in winter. So sometimes winter oh. hides can be of better quality and like that affects the whole leather tanning trade. That's aside the point. When you get the skin, unless there is something called a beam house, which is the first kind of stop that the hide makes, mm -hmm. sometimes the beam houses are attached or closely associated with the slaughterhouses. Uh, most of the time these days, they're not. So the slaughterhouse will, in pallets, salt pack these rawhides. Okay. And they still have fat on them. They still have hair on them. They still have poop on them. And they will pack them in salt to preserve them for a very short period of time, maybe a week, 14 days. And they will ship those pallets to a beam house, usually in Asia. And from there, the beam house will take them and put them into this donut-shaped pool that's constantly got flowing water in it. And that desalinizes the hides and then they start pumping that pool full of pres preservatives. Basically, that starts the tanning process. And these are things like formaldehydes, it's lime, it's uh, sulfuric acids. It's it's a bunch of like pretty nasty stuff. Yeah. But this is where at the end of this beam house process, um, you have a lot of environmental concerns at this point where the outputs that you have from the beam house, the effluent, which is called, which is dirty water, basically that they're expelling the effluent related with beam houses is incredibly nasty. It is full of solid waste of fats and hairs and sulfur dioxides and all sorts of crazy shit that gets into the waterways and can not only wreak havoc on people, but can wreak havoc on sewer systems, waterways, there are places in the world like Kanpur, India, for example, which has a huge concentration of beam houses and tanneries and the allowable limits of certain chemicals that are in the water that gets pumped out by these tanneries is 24, 25 times the allowable limit set by the World Health Organization. So people oh, wow. are very sick okay. and it's a problem and it's not something that we always have transparency to because the next stop after the beam house is the tannery. And the tannery is if you are a designer like I am, you are a designer, you generally only have visibility to the tannery. Okay. And by the time those cured hides get to the tannery, probably 86%, 80, between 86 and 90% of the environmental footprint that's associated with leather has already happened. 
Okay, got it. Yeah. So how we select leather, like we only are affecting about, I don't know, maybe at most 10%, which is like, you should still do that. Absolutely. Making those choices. But like, if there need, if, if we are going to talk about sustainability and environmentalism with leather, we have to talk about the entire supply chain. And that is an industry shift. It's not something that I myself can personally do. Okay, got it. Um, so there are innovations in leather happening. Like now that, now that it's 2020 and over the last 8,000 years, we've basically made one leap forward uh, in the tanning process. Um, what's next? Like what, where is the industry pushing? What can we do? How, how do we address kind of this, uh, this problem that that we have with the the wastefulness or the impact that leather has, um, I know that there's a a lot of weird uh, options out there that uh, seem like um, solutions, um, but probably not on a mass scale. Not really. Uh, the biggest thing, which is not even necessarily an innovation, but when we talk about standards and environmentalism, I think the thing that comes to mind the first is the leather working group. Okay. which is a third-party organization that audits tanneries. So as I said, this does not have traceability necessarily all the way back to the beam house or the slaughterhouse, but the leather working group works with tanneries all over the world to set up an audit system to ensure that they have environmental stewardship in place. And they have a rating system. It's unaudited, audited, bronze, silver, and gold. Okay. And if you are a designer, and I know that even like a lot of um brands have actually started tapping into this for consumer facing marketing. I know, I think it was Madewell just last year came out with a leather shoe that they were saying was a sustainable sneaker because they were partnering with a gold rated tannery ISA in Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like, that's honestly like if you are a consumer interested in how to be a better consumer of leather, uh, you can absolutely reach out to brands to ask, you know, where are you sourcing your leather from? Are they gold rated? Are they LWG rated? Okay. Um, and that is just a benchmark. Like it's not, Nothing that the LWG doing is necessarily like earth shattering, but it's a standard and that's super right. important. Okay. As far as innovations, what I will say there is there are a lot of innovations right now that are still too nascent, I think, to really be seen a huge amount on the market. But yeah. there are some practices that tanneries are trying to recycle their leather waste and create a sort of chipboard almost out of their leather scrap. Okay. I know Nike uh, Smart Leather. I think is what they're fly leather. That's what it's called. Nike fly leather. Um, that's a composite leather material. That's got like a hot melt film on the backer. So that's recycled leather product. There's a lot of innovations just around the tanning chemistry itself that there's, they're introducing things like bacterial liming, which is going to reduce the amount of effluent that a beam house produces in the, in the life cycle of the tanning process. Okay. So one thing uh, I hear a lot about uh, if I'm like, looking for a new pair of shoes or something is vegan leather or, or synthetic leather. Um, where does that fit into this whole process? If I am uh, thinking about things from a kind of environmental standpoint, uh, you know, where does that fall? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, kind of two points. One, I don't consider synthetic leather in the same category as leather. Well, um, okay. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's semantics possibly, but in, when we talk, when I talk about leather in my industry, leather comes from an animal. So vegan sure. leather, synthetic leather, that's a kind of a different conversation. However, synthetic leather can be great. It is generally a polyurethane coating that has a fiber backer on it, usually polyester. 
Okay. And if you are not wearing leather because you don't like leather, you don't like the association with the meat industry, then synthetic leather is for you and you should absolutely wear it. Okay. In my opinion, leather from an animal is better because polyurethane, what synthetic leather is generally made out of, and polyester, the backer that goes with it, those are made from oil. Those are made from something called naphtha, which is a byproduct of the oil refining process. Okay. And in my opinion, why would I want to rely on an abiotic, a non-renewable resource like oil to create my products that, in my opinion, are going to be inferior to that of leather from a physical standpoint, when, for better or worse, even as my bleeding heart vegetarian, I can acknowledge that the meat industry and cows are at this time kind of an infinitely renewable resource. Mm -hmm. And as far as physical properties are concerned, like how long my product will last, if it is weatherproof, if it will, you know, yellow or crack over time, leather is not generally going to do that. Yeah. So yeah, there's some inherent advantages uh, to animal leather over, over the synthetic uh, as far as physical traits, but then also sustainability, renewability, all that kind of, um, I assume the oil industry probably does as much, if not more damage to the environment than, than the meatpacking does. Um, so is the best option to buy that high quality veg tan leather and treat it right and make it last as long as you can? That's my opinion. Honestly, I, I mean, I think that this kind of comes down to all consumerism, and you'll probably hear me say this over and over again throughout the life of this podcast, is the best thing that you can do as a consumer is to buy less, buy high quality that will last, take care of the things that you have, repair the things that you have, and really just buy what you need. You don't need 10 pairs of shoes every year. You don't need 20 leather kicks around. Like, Get the things that you really like that will be seasonless that you can just wear and repair if they have if you have resoling programs. I know actually a lot of uh, of sneaker companies, even like I know high heels and things can generally be cobbled, but a mm -hmm. lot of sneaker companies are actually moving the needle right now to introduce resoling programs. I know the New Balance has introduced the JP 1300. I think it's only in Japan right now, but like that is a resolable program, as does I think LL Bean still does their their bean boot resoling. OK, so that's an option. All right. So if you want to be an educated consumer, that is probably the best way to go is to try to find something that uh, is high quality, is repairable, and uh, that you can um, get a long life out of. Um, and pressure it, brands. Like, really, yeah. honestly, like, get on Twitter and, like, at Bean, LL Bean, like, what kind of leather are you using? Is it LWG rated? Is it chrome tanned? Like... Start asking as a consumer, start pressuring brands to be transparent about this kind of stuff. Like if you can go to them and literally say, is your, is the tannery that, or is the leather that's used in this shoe from an LWG gold rated tannery? They will be like, oh no, the consumers know about this rating <laughs> system. Like we should probably uh -huh. start talking about it and start owning up to this stuff because that's how things change. Right. Okay. So you think that, uh, brands in general sort of already know this stuff, but they may not be communicating it or taking it super seriously it might not be on the front burner necessarily unless we can uh, kind of call them out on it as as consumers yeah absolutely and also like leather is a is a pretty dark industry honestly like yeah. 
I, for anything that I work with, with cotton or polyester, like fiber-based stuff, it's relatively easy for me to trace it back to at least my tier two, which is the fiber supplier. Like I can trace it back to the factory that wove my goods, but I, and I usually can trace it back to the fiber supplier, but beyond that, like farm level, things like that, it's very, very hard. In leather, a lot of the times, like I only know my industry, which is sneakers, but like I know for a fact that things like high-end bags and smaller operations that, you know, are not these like multi-billion dollar corporations, a lot of the times they don't even know where their leather is coming from, from the first point of supply. They are going through contractors that are just Mm. buying whatever commodity is on the market for the cheapest price. And oftentimes this is coming from places that have incredibly bad human rights violations and incredibly bad environmental stewardship. So it's really, really important as a consumer that you, one, know where things are coming from, but like if you don't ask those questions. Yeah. Okay. So takeaways from this conversation, leather is a recycling story. Um, leather is uh, is a sustainable product if you're taking care of it. And uh, any, anything else that we should take away from this one? And and keeping the pressure on uh, on brands and companies to continually uh, be more communicative about what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, as I said, I love leather. I think it's a fantastic, beautiful product that trumps synthetic leather leather at every turn. Mm -hmm. That being said, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I think that the pollution that's generally caused by chromium tanning needs to be addressed in a more Uh, full way. And like, that's not necessarily to say that we should get rid of chromium tanning entirely, but that that system needs to be cleaned up. It seemed questionable. Yeah. 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 And it's just, it's not something that's communicated to consumers. Like it is, it is something that is purposely kept in the dark. And I don't think that that's right. Mm -hmm. I think that if you are going to be buying something and putting it on your body, that if it is, if it is even remotely potential that there are carcinogenic things, whether or not it was tanned in carcinogenic form, it, it wasn't, but You know, like that's something that consumers need to be made aware of. And again, I think chromium tanning is highly efficient in its resource use. Like it uses less water than veg tan. It's faster, all of these things. However, like we just need to be better about it. Like most things in this world. Um, But the only other thing that I'll kind of like leave off with is if you don't like leather, if you don't want that association with slaughter involved if you Mm -hmm. don't like the pollution that's associated with leather Mm -hmm. stop eating meat the only way that we are going to see any kind of dent in the leather supply side of the industry is if there are less cows and that is literally the only way that's going to happen is if like a lot of people in the world stop eating meat what's uh what's a lot like 10 percent Oh God, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't have the numbers in front of me. It's like we would. It would have to be a majority of the people to probably. to really put a dent in the. In the yeah, industry. like I mean, even if even if there were less hides going to leather, like the industries that can eat up some of that slack, like the glue industry and the pet food industry, the the uh, the sheer volume of hides that are produced every single day it's not you need the footwear industry and the bag industry you need the leather industry to take on some of that hide otherwise it is just going to go to landfill and that putrefaction that happens on a landfill level as raw hides is nasty i can only imagine and on that note uh let's wrap this one up uh for this episode on leather um, thanks for all the insight. That was great. I feel like I know a lot more about uh, the life cycle of leather and uh, I can make 
a little bit better uh, decisions or more informed decisions on uh, based on my uh, moral compass. One last thing to say, don't buy exotic skins. That is absolutely something. If you are buying alligator or snake skin or anything like that, they are absolutely killing the animal for those skins. Got it. Thank you very much for listening. And <laughs> as always, reduce, reuse, repair, and buy less. <laughs>